Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. We're uh, chasing wins this year. This is Chasing Wins. So speaking of Lamb, right, um, Steve Kerr played and a lot of Anthony Lamb this year. Um, in terms of coaching, like, what did you see... Um, from a positive or negative standpoint. And I know you're going to probably uh, list off a lot of the negatives, but um, what what did you see this season that you thought was or should be corrected for next year spe- specifically? So before we get to that, there's one guy that I do want to mention, and that's uh, PBJ. Uh, that's mm-hmm. another guy that I kind of harped on throughout the course of the season. You did, that- you did. He is a better option than Jermichael Green. Uh, you want to you wanna talk about cones on defense. Um, I guess, you know, PBJ being as young as he is and kind of not being very quick on his feet out in the perimeter, especially, right? We've seen a lot of kind of speedier guys just kind of blow by him in the regular season a little bit at times. So is that problematic? Obviously, that's problematic. Right. I, but I would say a lot of guys that play – you know, those big guy minutes, uh, they 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 struggle out in the perimeter. That's that's no different, even if you're AD. Um, but it, it's to see it's to give the guy experience that you want. I mean, you don't wanna give five different 20 year olds experience necessarily in on a on a championship caliber team. But at the end of the day, you drafted him, he's cheap, and it turns out that he's a sniper, right? The guy is, he's probably, he's mm, by far the best shooter as a big man that they had on this roster. Put it that way, right? Jermichael Green uh, was pretty decent at shooting, but Patrick Baldwin Jr. is a guy that, like, the defense has to pay attention to. You can't just leave that guy. You know what I'm saying? You don't leave snipers wide open if you can help it. Um, look at what Look at what Mike Brown did with the Kings with Keegan Murray. Uh, who was, you know, I guess you can call him a sniper, right? That's part of the reason why he was on the floor. And he um, was impactful for them, right? Even though he was just a kid, right? So if a player shows you a definitive ability and skill, you have to be able to utilize that in some way. And obviously, Kerr didn't even think to do that, even though he, again, PBJ by far was his best shooter, right? So... 
you know, things like that are a problem. You have to be able to identify what's on your roster and you have to be able to f- uh, find a way to figure out how to best to use that roster. Uh, so Kuminga, you know, he, as flawed as he is from a defensive standpoint, you know, um, he showed that he's capable of playing really good perimeter defense. Um, and given that he is one of the most, uh, he, he's one of the bigger guys that is able to do that on the team should have been able to find a way to use him better than let's say Dante or, or um, what's a pool where you end up going tiny and relying on just guys that can't uh, in pools case is a joke on defense. He, he had to be pulled uh, from the series because he was failing them on both ends of the floor. There's no reason, good reason to play him. Uh, in that case, you have to have a versatile mind and be able to make adjustments uh, with the roster that you have, understanding uh, what talents they have, what strengths they have, uh, consider their weaknesses, but ultimately find a way to maximize that strength that they carry with them. Um, and that's what a good coach would do. And Steve Kerr proved himself to be uh, beyond rigid. The guy is unadjustable, like just a complete and utter unwillingness to play Kuminga or even Lamb to get away from the four guards and stabilize their defense. You talk about like, you know, the lack of balance when you play too many guards, right? But as, yeah, that's absolutely true. But the more important factor is that you compromise your defense by playing too many guards. You don't have a guard playing power forward. You had Moody trying to play power forward and guard LeBron James. Like these are stretches that you cannot have. And those are stretches that Moody did not have any success in. So if you see that, and if you see that the team is bleeding points, well, you're supposed to make an adjustment. Of course, Steve Kerr never made those adjustments. And Obviously, the biggest thing with Steve Kerr that uh, I've been harping on all season long, and there's so many problems with him, but the first and the biggest problem that he has is his ideology of staying away from the pick and roll because he doesn't like that action. He thinks it leaves too many guys out and it gets guys cold. And he has like this little phil- philosophy about like how he wants the game to be played. He romanticizes uh, what the game of basketball should be or how it should look like, right? And the problem with that, that's that's cute and all, but the problem with that is that's not what's conducive to winning because, number one, uh, the style that achieves what he wants achieved on the floor is the motion. And we all know that the motion is really easy to stop in the playoffs. It doesn't work. Even Kevin Durant, when he was with the Warriors, you know, told the reporters there are limits to the motion. When uh, once you get to the playoffs, you can't run this to the ground. It's not going to work. He literally said that. Um, Steph Curry has said over and over again uh, throughout the years that pick and roll is their bread and butter, right? But <clears throat> and I, I don't know if I don't know if you were paying attention uh, in those KD years, um, you know, mm-hmm. to the media and stuff like this, but. Kerr and Curry used to go kind of go back and forth with the media about the whole pick and roll thing, just because Kerr refused to run it. Even then, you know, you run a pick and roll with him and KD in the, in the playoffs. I mean, we saw what happened in the finals. KD was the roller. He's playing two on one. What are you going to do in that situation? 
that is the ideal situation, right? Where you have an elite scorer just, you know, take the wide open shot and no matter where he shoots it from, it's going to be a great shot because he's wide open, right? Mm -hmm. Or he's driving to the basket, uh, either creating an easy bucket for somebody. Usually he just drove and got his own layup or dunk, right? Because he's able to do that. So uh, you have to go, you have to have a mind where, ultimately you know that there are different styles of play uh it, when it comes to the game of basketball it's a matter of which one are you going to use uh that gives your team the best chance and opportunity to win is this about you and what you care about or is this at the end of the day what's best for the team and what's going to what like what are the pieces that you have that are most effective uh in what determining what you're going to use and in terms of Stephen Curry, we know that he's the greatest pick and roll player ever of all time. There's not another player that comes close to that uh, when it comes to executing the pick and roll uh, in the playoffs because of what he's able to do. He's able to bring up the big guys of the other team, and that essentially compromises the structure and the core of what the other team wants to do. You know, mm-hmm. uh, having a big guy in the in the paint and protecting that rim area and controlling it. You know, that's a, that's always been the name of the game when it comes to the playoffs and being able to do that. And Steph Curry being able to get those bigs away uh, from the paint, that has been the biggest key of all to all the championships that the Warriors have won. And it seems to me as though Steve Kerr doesn't really realize that. You know, the first one they did that, uh, by uh, Nick Uren's idea, by going small and having Draymond play center. None of these were Steve Kerr's idea. The problem with this is that Steve Kerr somehow, some way, never retains the information that he gains from any series or any year, right? And just defaults. He always defaults back to what he knows, which is the motion. Um, and we saw that in 2016, Dre. You know, he went back to that and he went back to very casual lineups and rotations in game seven, playing Ezeli, playing Varejao and uh, playing them despite, especially Ezeli, he's just like, he's scared out of his mind. The guy couldn't even catch an open pass uh, right under the rim just because of the nerves. You know how it goes when your psyche is not right, when you're nervous, when you know what I'm saying? Like when your energy is not right, Ezeli was a young fellow at the time too. So you could see that he wasn't ready for that moment and Kerr just kept going to him anyway. You have to be able to read and identify those things, number one. Number two, you saw literally the year before to the championship was um, you know, going smaller and having Draymond at, at center and doing these things uh, that help your team win. So why did you go away from that in, in 2016? You know, that you, you watched it happen but failed to recognize that that's what got you the championship, you know? So he didn't make those proper moves and it cost the Warriors a championship that year, you know, in his second year. Should have been a red flag. It was a red flag for me. But then they went and got KD. And, you know, this is my new new bio now. My left nut could have won the two championships that Steve Kerr won once KD came on board. Any motherfucker... Any coach you could think of would have won a championship 
you know, with those guys, all time talent, you know, top five talent ever, uh, top five defensive player ever, top five shooter ever, you know, top five scorer. You had like comical pieces. And then you had still had guys like Andre Iguodala. You know what I'm saying? It's just like you had like David West. You had so many good pieces. And it's just like, oh, he won those championships. And it's like, bro, like, give me a break. Right. And then and then KD leaves and Kerr. I feel like Mike Brown just had such a huge hand in helping kind of Kerr navigate through these playoffs, right? Uh, against the Grizzlies. Against the Grizzlies, Steve Kerr wasn't even there last year. Mike Brown had to finish that series off the final three games, right? So that just goes to show you that Mike Brown could have replaced and done done it uh, done a better job all along because he knows exactly what to do. He knows the effectiveness of the pick and roll. He did it against the Warriors in the first round. He damn near uh, did beat the Warriors and should have beat the Warriors. He ran circles around Steve Kerr and his stupid motion offense that cost them, you know, Game Six also. Um, before obviously going away from it completely. And Steph, Steph Curry just putting his foot down and being like, you know, like, I'm going to put the onus on me. I'm not going to put the onus on the system. I'm not going to put the onus on these lesser, uh, my lesser teammates. Uh, I'm going to decide what's going to happen in this game. And that just didn't happen enough against the Lakers. I think Steve Kerr had too much control. I think he went too far away from the things that were working. We all knew going into the series that you needed to get AD out of the paint. This became national news and attention. It got national attention. You got people writing articles saying that Steve Kerr is blowing games. Like he's throwing games away. And when you have a coach that is so bad that you can actually say that this guy is intentionally throwing these games because... He doesn't want to play this system. He's stubborn. He's so stubborn and stuck in his ways and the way that he, in the way that he wants to play that he wants to avoid it at all costs unless he's like truly desperate. That's why he, once he wins and gets comfortable, he defaults back to that system, right? Um, so let's talk about, let's list out the things, the, the problems that we have with Steve Kerr. Number one, he's against the play style um, that brings the most out of his best player who happens to be a goat. At the very least, he's uh, a Warriors franchise goat. Like, there's nobody better than him, not even close. And then there's obviously always and constantly talks about whether he belongs in, whether he belongs in the top 10 of all time. And if you're in these kinds of discussions, you don't, you don't put like, a limitation on what that level of player um, is capable of being constantly having him off the ball and all these things. Right. Uh, so no, yeah. you're exactly right. And, and I think like you said, putting the ball in Steph's hands should be the number one priority year in, year out, finding ways to get him in rhythm and him maximized. I think most of the seasons are spent on having, you know, clay, Wiggins, Poole, Draymond, all these ancillary pieces, the, the the his teammates kind of trying to fit in and get going. But um, Steph always is sacrificing and taking a step back 
for the betterment of the others to get going. And part of that has to do with, or almost all of it has to do with Steve Kerr's philosophy. Um, the motion offense prioritizes Steph's teammates, not Steph. Now, Steph weaponizes his ability to play off the ball to ultimately help himself and his teammates. Like, playing off the ball is a big part of Steph's game. He's developed that over the years. The relocation stuff, the dribble handoffs, the curls, all the all the basics. Um, but, alt and the back doors when he's top-locked, like, all the counters he's he's developed. The problem is, is that he, he doesn't necessarily go to the off-ball stuff for himself all the time. Most of the time, the, the off-ball movement and motion and the concepts are f- to be able to open up for others and to get others going. Like they use Steph as a decoy, or they use Steph as a screener, or they use Steph, you know, as a spacer. And That's the worst what, one right there. Uh, well, the yeah, yeah no, it is, because there were times the, these playoffs where I would watch Jordan Poole have the ball in his hands and Steph would be sitting in the corner or on the wing. And these are valuable minutes with Steph Curry on the court and Jordan Poole is the one taking the shot or making the play. Like, that's inherently a less efficient possession when it's not Steph Curry with the ball in his hands. Now, obviously you don't want to run it into the ground. You still want to include ancillary uh, sets and, and and actions to be able to incorporate other players. But it, especially come playoff time, there's no, there's no you know, room to mess around. You need to get the ball in Steph Curry's hands. You saw what happened in game one against the Lakers. Steph really didn't have a good couple quarters. Fourth quarter comes around. He's just all hands on deck, firing on all cylinders, and it's a tie game. They they cut a 14-point lead into to zero. It was a tie game. It was The Lakers were up by 14 points with three and a half minutes to go, or four minutes to go, something like that. And within a four-minute stretch, the Warriors cut it down to zero. They tied it up. And it was because Steph Curry had the ball in his hands, and he was attacking, and he was making reads and plays and being aggressive. And they got Part of that also, I would say, is on Steph as well. It's on Steph to also turn it up at times. We saw him, we saw him do it against the Kings in Game 7. He is fully capable of doing it. So I think it's on Steph and it's on Steve to find a way, find a balance, whether it's Steph communicating to Steve or Steve being able to – you know, change up and update his playbook, which I don't expect to happen. Um, but ultimately, these are fundamental flaws. And I also think it enables Draymond and Clay to kind of do their thing. Too and much. Yeah, like Draymond, you know, having to make made these telegraph passes, um, teams know that he's – teams know to play him for the pass. Draymond, more often than not, is not necessarily going to be a scorer. Now, in the pick and roll, he probably is more likely to score than in the motion offense. In the motion offense, he's more likely to pass than score. And teams will, you know, play him for the cross-court skip pass or the, you know, coming off a curl, you know, making those reads. Like, Draymond has become much more predictable. Klay Thompson also, Steph Curry and Steve Kerr, from a coaching standpoint, have allowed Clay, have enabled Clay to just do what the fuck he wants. The offense, yeah, do what he wants and be the focal point of the offense for long stretches 
to where it digs us into a hole. We've seen this time and time again this season where Clay is taking seven, eight, nine shots in a quarter. And not only a quarter, but the first quarter. And at times he's going, you know, one for nine, two for eight, you know, three for three for ten. He literally did that in game six. And yeah, he did it in game six. And there were times throughout these playoffs where he's done it, and even throughout the regular season. And I would I would much rather see Steph Curry set the set the tone, be aggressive from the jump, and and set the pace, and then others fall into line where they can fit in where they're needed, as opposed to Steph getting his work when he can, and then, you know, having to come back and compensate for a large deficit that we've, you know, dug ourselves into. So, it, you know, I don't know what Steve is going to do the next few seasons, but assuming that he is the coach of this team, my hope is that he updates his playbook. No, Trey, we let's discuss up. this. Let's yeah. discuss this, because you're talking about let's hope he does this and that. Well, this is his ninth fuck ninth fucking year with the team. He ain't well, talking shit because okay. he this is who he is. This is he he's not adaptable. Number one, number two, he doesn't seem to see or understand what wins or loses games. I think that is really obvious when you see him rolling out four guard lineups, uh, let alone uh, you know three guard lineups like you you shouldn't even be running these three guard lineups where it's like Steph Curry, Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson. Talked about that since late January and he never learned and he kept doing it going into the playoffs. Uh do like he he didn't have to choose to die with that that formula cuz he had other pieces on his roster and he chose to go that route. He chose to go a route where you basically can't win, right? You you're <laughs> Even if offensively you're you find a way, which he did not, for the most part, by the way, um, he keeps going away from what is most conducive to winning. He keeps going away from the best ways that are going to help the Warriors win games. And then again, um, you say it's it's on Steph Curry, and I'm just like, well, all these things that we talk about. This is all on the coach. The coach is supposed to have control over like, oh, Clay's taking too many shots. Uh, oh, he's hijacking things. He's taking over. Like these are things that a coach is supposed to control. If you have no control of one of your key pieces, like what are you even so doing there? What I would say to that is, is that Steph being the leader of the team, Steph being the leader of the team, he's going to have to communicate and find a way to balance that out with Steve with Clay, there has to be some like it's not that Steph is just Draymond out there or Looney out there. Like he's a guy who who or he is the guy who is supposed to find a way to calibrate these things. And he has to work with Steve. He has to work with whoever. Um and I think look, it's not on Steph to coach the team. It's not on Steph to, for Clay to make shots and, and take bad shots, but it's it is on Steph to communicate and be involved in this process. Oh, you see what I'm saying, Dre? It shit yeah. is, it shit like, had, did anything really change even going into game six? Not really. No, like, I, I got to realize that game Steph six, Curry. I got to put that on Steph, though. Because You're putting game six on Steph, really. <laughs> it's he all played GP2 10 minutes. <laughs> he, no, played, no, no, no. he played, he played pool like 23 minutes. But I'm saying from an from an aggressive standpoint, I think Steph's aggression Steph emptied been, the clip. Yeah, but I thought he should have done a better instead of letting Clay 
take the first nine shots, it should have been Steph. I think yeah, Steph should have I been- agree too. But if yeah. the coach is telling you to run a fucking play, how many times do you have to say no to that shit before it's like, oh man, like we're not on the same page. Like I don't agree with you. Like you got to understand, like, I think, I think the toughest thing that Curry has to juggle with is the fact that he cares about the relationships that he creates with the people that he works with. No, you're Uh, right. And he cares about that more than his own legacy and any outside noise in regards to, you know, uh, whether he can win and all these kinds of things. He obviously deeply cares about winning above all, but he's willing to hide whoever he can hide uh, so that he doesn't get anybody into trouble. I think the last thing he wants to do is get a guy like Steve Kerr fired no matter what the circumstances are, because that's who he is. He's a man of God, and um, he will defend anybody that is with him yeah. to the end. You know what I'm saying? Like, even Mark Jackson, he was like, I don't want him fired, da-da-da, right? But that's why there are roles on this team and people right. who make decisions that are that are best, because he's not. Curry is just a guy that, you know, he's, he's a leader, and he... When I say leader, I don't mean just in the sense of like, just, you know, basketball. I'm going to tell you what to do, da, 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 right? That's not his job. His job is, yes, his job is to lead his guys and have them believe in each other and try to f- have them find a way to become selfish the way he plays. Uh, and when they play like that, they would be unstoppable. Clay would be much better playing for his team rather than for himself and all these things, right? But you need a leader who understands and sees all these things that are happening right in front of him, be able to take control and do the right things, make the tough moves, sit down a guy if he's not performing. Um, and even if it's a guy like Clay, if he's not doing his job, boxing a guy out or whatever, like you got to be able to call that out, uh, single him out and sit his ass down and tell and show him that there's consequences for not getting things done on the floor. Um, and Steve Kerr just isn't that guy. He's 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 a nice guy. He wants to be liked by everybody, it seems, maybe except for the kids, right? And it's like if it hurts his like relationship with Clay, if he has to bench him or something like this, he won't do it because he's too soft and he's too close to the players in that way. You it's important to be close to the players and be connected. So, let me ask you this. What what Next season, what would you want to see differently from Kerr? I don't think he's capable of change. I think if he had another guy who was just completely elite and let him uh, run things, like let Mike Brown run things from behind the scenes, I think that maybe... If, if you were capable of change, what would you want to see differently? Uh, he's already proven that he's not capable. Like, I don't know. But I'm saying, what, how many, how many times what are the fundamental... Did. Like, if you were to make a list... What are the fundamental issues you have with Steve? Ditch your ideologies. Ditch your selfishness. Ditch your ego. Ditch your tyrannical nature of my way or the highway. Um, So these are, this is who he is as a person. So you're asking me how he would change that. I'm telling you that it's not going to change. He will live and die by his ideologies. He doesn't care what the other ways of winning are. And he doesn't know what those winning ways are. He gets ideas from the assistants, maybe, uh, if they're not running it for him themselves. And it's like, well, 
if that's what is required for him to be good, for him to have the most elite possible person behind him, like a guy like Mike Brown, right? If that's the case, then you have to, at some point, come to an acceptance that that's not who Kerr is and just hire the guy who is actually elite, like what they, which they should have done with Mike Brown. Just hire that guy after the 16th season because Mike Steve Kerr blew a championship that year, right? He had a five point. He had a uh, he had a three one lead and he blew it. They never talk about the coach behind. Um, everybody else, it's like, oh, Doc Rivers blew this and that. But when it comes to Steve Kerr, nobody ever wants to talk about the realities of that. They could have just hired Mike Brown after that year, and everything would have gone smoothly. Mike Brown went ten and zero without Steve Kerr in the playoffs, and he beat the Grizzlies last year without Steve Kerr. And it's just like, how much proof do you need that they could have just done this with done this with Mike Brown? So let me ask you this: um, in terms of the players, which players did you have an issue with this season? Um, who who would you want to still see on the roster for next year? Is there anyone you want to see go? Um, like, what are your thoughts? You know, one through eight, and who who in particular did? Also, who is encouraging? You know, who is who who is going to be a guy for next season? You're like, look, I can count on that guy. You know, both both sides of it in terms of these guys. What do you think? Um, that's that's definitely a good question. Um, I like I don't know if I'm done with Steve Kerr, man. I I, I need I want to like destroy this guy for what this guy. The Warriors should be playing right now. They should have went past the Lakers. Hundred percent. And you know what? I would say this: games one and four were on Steve. Um, game one because they went in with a reckless, like just recklessly running motion, no sense of understanding that the the approach should be to to take AD out the paint and magically they figure it out in the fourth quarter. Like they probably should have, you know, been on that from the jump. You think Steve? Curry, you think you think Curry doesn't know that run pick and roll? No, yeah, and I think Steph probably does know that. It, it's there has to be better execution on both sides. I don't know who, I don't know who the chain of what the chain of command is necessarily. I it probably is Steve, Steve. but Steph has to voice some type of displeasure. Or, I'm sure or, he does, right? But he yeah. can't do it game by game. Like, he literally gave a speech in game seven, like, hey, put trust in me and have faith in me. And then I would say game four, Steve did a poor job uh, in the closing lineup. You know, obviously you mentioned this, not playing GP2 and, and instead going with Moody, even though it was a rough two minutes to start the quarter, understanding that you weather that storm and that in the long haul, you trust GP2's positive contributions yeah um yeah but you don't yeah go away. So, you don't go away from your best defender with the game on the line that is that's sabotage right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. No, absolutely it, it, it's um, like it's like going away from um like if you're the lakers uh who, who are the lakers best defenders like who is their best perimeter defender would you say the lakers best perimeter defender is probably vanderbilt Vanderbilt, you think so? Well, I mean, it's not D'Lo. It's not Re- Reeves is okay. Yeah, Reeves is Tr- good. Schroeder is good. Schroeder's good. I guess this is a tough one, huh? It's probably Vando or Schroeder. Schroeder's 
not bad. Okay. And and Reeves is okay too. They don't have necessarily like a lockdown dude, but they're all very very good. Like they have multiple guys that are very good. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like which team relies heavily on like uh this is like okay, the Knicks. They got Josh Hart and that move single-handedly changed their like the entire trajectory of their season. One guy can change everything for you. Gary Payton happens to be that guy for the Warriors. Right. And to go away from him for the entirety of uh, the fourth quarter is sabotage. It's not just a bad coaching decision or a bad move. It's sabotaging. So, to be so taken away from your own team, your best defender. 